0: in our Bibles for our first scripture reading to the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 Hear now the inerrant, infallible and inspired word of God. And you hath he quickened Who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places, In Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, For to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh, for through him we both have access by one Spirit. Unto the Father. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. All right, so we come now to this second chapter of Ephesians, and at the beginning of this chapter we have uh, a statement, really, of, of the free grace of God in Christ with regard to our salvation from the wrath to come. Remember, when we talk about salvation, we don't put a period after the word salvation. We always ask the question, salvation from what? Salvation from the wrath to come. Right? Are you saved? Well, saved from what? Uh, we might be saved from the, uh, from the burglar by, our, by our, uh, our ADT alarms, but that doesn't mean that we're saved in the sense that we're talking about here. Saved from what? saved from the wrath of God which is due to us for our sins so Paul begins this chapter and ends this chapter in much the same way although differently but there is a foundational element in the beginning and the end and that is the unity number one of the human race generally and then the unity of those who are redeemed generally right We all start out, Paul will say, we were all of us by nature the children of wrath. Jews and Gentiles alike, all of us together are children of wrath. Everybody get that, right? That while Paul will make a distinction between Jews and Gentiles in this chapter uh, because of their past and the separation that had existed between them, Paul will also say that we were all of us by nature, The children of wrath. Jews and Gentiles alike. And he does use that Greek word phusis, which is translated here, nature. That means in our most basic element. The people that we are considered most basically. Who are we? Sinners. Children of wrath. The wrath of God due to us for sin. Now, when we talk about that, let's make sure we understand what we mean. Okay. We are the children of wrath in Adam and in our actual transgressions. We don't wait until we sin to become sinners. We are sinners in the way that we're born by nature. And so we sin because we're sinners. It's not the other way around. It's not we become sinners because we've sinned. First we are sinners And children of wrath in Adam. This comes because of the connection. That we have to Adam. Where God has imputed wrath. Guilt. Punishment. Judgment. Upon all who descend from Adam. By what we call ordinary generation. And of course when we say that in our confessional documents. We're simply accepting Christ from that. His uh, birth was not. Uh, through ordinary generation. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so that thing which was born, that holy thing which was born of Mary shall be called holy, the Son of God. But aside from him, everyone else is indeed infected, tainted, guilty. And that is testified to us according to Romans chapter 5 in that what? Everybody dies. Right? Right? That's that's how the Apostle Paul will make that known to us. And if we would maybe just roll back in our thoughts to Genesis chapter 5, what would we notice? We would notice in the genealogy of Seth, the son of Adam, the the recurring phrase, and he died, and he died, and he died, over and again. The other thing that I would have you notice here in chapter 2 is that Paul often uses a literary device in his writing. This will come uh, more clearly to us when we come to chapter 5 in our reading. But here, notice he will say, You with the quick were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He uses what we would call a synonymy here. Things that are a little bit different and yet having a foundational element in all of them. Right? So... While we may, be, uh, we, we, we may have a, uh, an incremental difference between those three phrases, they are all at foundation speaking of the same thing. This is part of what it means to be a slave to sin. And this is how we all come into this world. We all had our conversation in time past. And I think that that would have startled some of his Jewish readers. Oh, they would have been fine thinking that about Gentiles. But I think that would have startled some of his Jewish readers. That they too came into this world as children of wrath. They would not have thought of themselves that way. Because theirs had devolved into a merit religion. Alright, and so notice he 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 makes it not only uh, theoretical, but very practical. Right? With dead in trespasses and sins. That's... Pretty much theoretical, but now we all had our conversation, our lifestyle in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's very practical. You'll remember in chapter 5 of the prior book, Galatians, we said that they that belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. So he is talking about past tense for believers here. We're no longer slaves to sin. Now what will he say? We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And beloved, I think he uses that term so that we would all come to this realization. This is something that we know. We don't overcome nature. We don't overcome it. That's who we are by nature. Left to ourselves, that's just simply who we are. We don't overcome nature. We don't overcome who we are. And then those wonderful two words there that begin verse 4 but God. These are the words we need. Because if it's but us, but I, we're, we're going to remain in our sins. We're going to remain under the judgment of God, if it's but I. Instead, it's but God. And notice what God does. First of all, notice why He does it, because He is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. And then notice he will speak not just of being made alive, but of being brought up out of the dead and hath raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's already said that in chapter one, hasn't he? That we are seated with Christ In the heavenly places. What that means is. It's not a mystical thing. It's simply that our citizenship is in heaven. Our home is there. We are energized. Enlivened by a heavenly energizing. By a heavenly vitality. We are connected to heaven. To Christ Jesus. Who is seated at the right hand of his father. And because of that. We receive special help. And special grace from heaven daily. That's what that means. That we are raised up out of this mundane thing. This worldly thing. And now our, our energy. Our vitality. Our life. As Paul will say in Colossians chapter 3. You died and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's what Paul is saying here. Notice he said, by grace are ye saved, and I want to correct a common misconception. Beloved, you are not saved by faith. You're saved by grace. Paul will say that over and again here. Sometimes we shorthand it, and we say we're saved by faith alone. Okay, I understand what you mean when you say that, but let's make sure we get the locution right to have the thoughts right. We're actually saved by grace through faith. Faith has nothing saving in itself. It's God's grace. Faith is the alone and empty instrument by which we receive the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. Okay, so there's nothing commendable in faith. We're not saved by faith. The commendable commendable part is God's grace. He is indeed, uh, it is to the praise of his glorious grace. That's the commendable part. So by grace are you saved, that's the end of verse 5, and then we are seated with Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. There in verse 7 we recognize, don't we, that there is an anticipatory nature to our faith, to the Lord's grace, that we're looking for that fullness of reward which yet comes. It's in the ages to come. Beloved, there is a, there's a horrible doctrine that is loose among some Reformed churches. We call it full preterism. And in that, what we hear from those men that teach that is that there is nothing in the ages to come that we look forward to. Well, this is directly contradictory to what the Apostle Paul says here. There is an aspect of your inheritance that is yet to come. There will be a resurrection of the dead. There will be a standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And there will be a separation of men between sheep and goats. And the sheep will dwell with Christ in glory forever, body and soul. And the goats will be sent, body and soul, into hell. Where they they will suffer unspeakable torments. Forever. Where hope will be a vice. Right? Right? Okay, so um, there is in the ages to come something yet coming where the Lord will reveal the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now we have those famous three verses. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, that faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's a gift. It comes as part and parcel of your regeneration. When God regenerates you, it is at that moment He gives you faith. Faith and regeneration, they always go together, but logically speaking, regeneration must precede faith. You cannot have faith unless you are born again. John will make this very clear in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, where he says, He that believeth is, may I put it in parentheses, already born again. The, uh, the faith that we exercise toward God is a fruit of regeneration. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And you notice once again that the Bible, our confession, all of it, makes proper distinction between faith and works. Beloved, faith is not a work. It never can be. It never will be. It's not a work. Faith is not a new law. Nope. It's grace that saves through faith. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Now when he says created in Christ Jesus, he's talking about the new creation. He's not talking about your original creation, where you're created by your creator, but where you are created by your redeemer. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, Behold, all things have passed away, all things are become new. That's the creation we're talking about here. And to what purpose are we newly created? What is that purpose? Unto good works, which God hath prepared, that we should walk in them. And so, those who tell us that good works are not a part of our salvation are in error. They are the way that God has ordained that we should uh, reach that full and final salvation. It is through good works, but not with regard to justification. We are justified by faith alone and the righteousness of Christ alone. Our good works are never good enough to endure God's scrutiny, his righteous judgment. Chapter 16 of our confession, uh, the chapter on good works is very clear on that, and if you're Still fuzzy. Uh, maybe you want to read through that chapter once again. That will be of assistance to you, I believe. Okay, so that takes us down through verse 10. We have that wonderful statement then of salvation, justification, salvation through faith alone, by God's grace, on account of God's grace and that alone, not of works. That brings us down through verse 10. And and if it is not of works, that doesn't mean we rule works out of court. Because immediately after he says not of works, lest any man should boast, he says we're created unto good works, that we should walk in them. All right, so now verse 11, we're going to make the distinction that I spoke of earlier between circumcision and uncircumcision. Paul's going to get right down on top of a, a very real first century problem which was what? Jews and Gentiles worshiping in the same congregation. The, the Jews would have thought, oh, those unwashed, what are they doing in here? The Gentiles would have thought, oh, those overly scrupulous and works righteous people, what are they doing in here? And together they would have formed uh, one of the most deepest divisions that could be imagined in any generation of the world anywhere. And yet they were told that they need to learn to worship together. And so how were they uh, to, to do that? Uh, the first thing is, remember that the Jews grew up in their sensibilities with, say, keeping kosher, right? Not eating certain foods, not touching certain things. Or if they did, they had to wait seven days before they went to church. They would have to wash and they would go through these ritual things. And when we come to Acts chapter 15, we see that all of those things are now passed away in Christ. That the distinction between Jews and Gentiles is no more in that way. Yet, we have those folks that, are, that have been habituated in that all of their lives. That have been taught that this was the standard of behavior. And so, um, how were these people groups to get along? Well, the first thing that Paul will say here is that, number one, as we heard earlier, they were all, by nature, children of wrath. Jews and Gentiles together. That's how we all come into this world. We've all had our conversation in time past with regard to the lust of the flesh and of the mind and so on. But now he will say that our Lord Jesus Christ by his cross work has done two things. And hopefully we'll hear that, that it's two things. In Colossians, in the parallel passage in Colossians, it's only one thing particularly. But here Paul mentions two things. The first thing is that our Lord Jesus Christ, by his cross work, has torn down the enmity that existed between Jew and Gentile. And what was that enmity? The law of ordinances and statutes. And he's nailed that to his cross. That is, the types and shadows of the Mosaic economy have been nailed to the cross of Christ. So no more is it a requirement for the people of God that they, uh, that they restrict their 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 diet with regard to say pork and shellfish and and uh uh you know the animals that that have those that that have the hoof and the and the eating patterns that are that are spoken of in the old testament no longer is that a requirement no longer is it a requirement that that you should never wear a garment that is made of mixed cloths right no longer is it a requirement that you should um, that you should uh, not uh, yoke together an ox and a donkey. That you should plow your field with mixed seeds. Those are no longer requirements. The Jews were told to do that as a church under age, that they might keep themselves separate from Gentiles. And so, centuries of of that kind of behavior made them want to remain separate from the Gentiles. Jesus nailed that to his cross. So that of the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, we might have one worshiping assembly. But not just one worshiping assembly. Because he begins the chapter by saying, all of us were by nature uh, children of wrath. Now he says, but of twain may be made one new man in Christ. That is, that Christ redeems all the same Jews and Gentiles. That there's not a separate path of glory Not a separate path of salvation for Jews and Gentiles either. Not only has that middle wall of partition been broken down that stood between Jews and Gentiles, the law of handwriting of ordinances and statutes, but also those other things, every other thing that could have kept them not only separate from one another, but separate from God has been taken down as well. And so Paul will say that he, Christ Jesus, is our peace. And what does that mean? Beloved, peace is not tranquility. Very often, those of you who are at peace with God will suffer under the most anxious of circumstances. You may come under persecution. You may lose your job for your faith because you want to keep a Sabbath day, and your employer will not allow that, and so you're fired. Well, that would not be a peaceful time, a tranquil time time you would wonder how am I going to feed my family but there is something else that the Bible considers to be peace the world looks at peace and they say we want tranquility we want ease we want leisure hey man don't stress me out that's what the world says with regard to peace but what Paul means here and what the Bible uh, speaks of when Jesus is known Or revealed in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and following as the prince of peace. That is that he restores right relationship between Jews and Gentiles. And Jews and Gentiles to God. Peace is not tranquility, beloved. It's right relationship with God. This is what Christ means when he's speaking to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. And he will say, blessed are the peacemakers... Don't hear in that, blessed be the negotiators. Blessed be those who can, who can you know, help people get along. It's not what's being spoken of. The peacemakers, those who preach the gospel of peace. Those who call people to faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, by his work, gives peace between God and men. So that we are no longer the children of wrath, but now the children of blessing. Adopted sons and daughters brought into the family of God, given the provision and fatherly care of our Heavenly Father, which includes provision, correction, direction, and all of those other things. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here with regard to peace. Remember in our outline at the very beginning, we said that one of the words that is operative throughout the book of Ephesians is the word one in chapter 4 remember one lord one faith one baptism here in chapter 2 one new man in Christ so there are no longer jews and gentiles in the church no longer oh we still re, we still might maintain or we we, we might we might re, maintain our ethnicities we might be able to see that in one another sure Some of us came from different places in the world. Our families did. And so we might retain some distinctions. As long as those don't grow out of proportion, that's fine. As long as they don't estrange us one from another in the church, that's fine. But before the Lord of the twain, He has made one new man. One new man in Christ Jesus. And so through Him... Through Christ we both, that is Jews and Gentiles, have access by one spirit unto the Father. And so we see once again this Trinitarian nature of our salvation. That it is unto the Father through Christ Jesus and by one spirit that we approach the throne of grace. So therefore we are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built Upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ or Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I think one of the reasons we will learn that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets here is that obviously we are talking about the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. But if we look at the apostles, some of them are Gentile men. Imagine what a comfort that might have been to Gentile Christians, right? We have Simon Zelotes, or Simon the Canaanite, as he is sometimes called. And so we take a look at the apostles, and we see then that, that in their being drawn to Jesus Christ and sharing that, that foundational load, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone Remember that the cornerstone goes in the ground first and everything is, is, uh, is connected off of that. That sets the tone for the size and shape and dimension of the house. And then our Lord Jesus Christ speaks to his apostles as he spoke through the, through the spirit of Christ to the prophets of old. And it is upon that foundation then that the church is built. And that becomes, as Peter will tell us, a habitation of God in the Spirit. Paul says it here, Peter will say it, that we are lively stones built up to that habitation of God in the Spirit. So if we're always magnifying our differences, beloved, if we want to be that stone that sticks out of the wall, that's a different color, that's a a different warp and woof, I'm a different shape than everybody else, what have we done? we have worked against that unity that God is building us up to be. If Jews and Gentiles could get along in the first century and they were required to meet in one worshiping assembly, so ought we to be in every age since then. Thus says the reading of Ephesians chapter 2. Let's stand and call upon.